the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. Wednesday, May 19th, 2021, as we head into hour two here. Have you um, have you heard about this story of Lieutenant Colonel, Colonel uh, Matthew Lohmeyer, who was uh, relieved from uh, his command um, in the uh, Space Force because he was talking about the left-wing politics of the military? Under Joe Biden, it's part of a larger problem, and Brandon Weikert's going to join us on this in a little bit. But the folks over at Issues and Insights have put it together nicely for us. Military officials are trained to stand silently on the sidelines of politics, saying nothing but what relates to their mission, whatever it might be. But a recent, excuse me, a recent open letter signed by one hundred and twenty for former flag-level officers, warning of the dangerous effects of our nation's sharp, sudden turn to the left overturns that tradition. What do they know that the rest of us don't? The letter was not couched in military jargon or bureaucraties. It was plain-spoken and blunt in its concern about America's course. It starts with a call for protecting our free and fair elections— but then turns toward the ominous political and cultural trends of recent years. Here is what those 124 officers write. Quote, aside from the election, the, by the way, before I read this, if 124 officers had written a letter about Donald Trump, you know you would not be able to escape that news. I wonder how many people know of this news. Back to the quote. Aside from the election, the current administration has launched a full-blown assault on our constitutional rights in a dictatorial manner, bypassing Congress with more than 50 executive orders quickly signed, many reversing the previous administration's effective policies and regulations. Moreover, population control actions such as excessive lockdowns, school and business closures, and most alarming censorship of written and verbal expression – are all direct assaults on our fundamental rights. We must support and hold accountable politicians who will act to counter socialism. Marxism and progressivism support our constitutional republic and insist on fiscally responsible governing while focusing on all Americans, especially the middle class, not special interest or extremist groups which are used to divide us into warring factions." They warned about the negative trends in a number of areas, ranging from our increasingly open borders and social media exercising control over speech, that to Joe Biden's return to the fatally flawed Iran nuclear deal and the failure to protect the rule of law. The letter somberly noted that our country has taken a hard left turn towards socialism in a Marxist form of government, which must be countered now by electing congressional and presidential candidates who will always act to defend our constitutional republic. No surprise that those on the left treated the letter as some sort of extremist tract or 
call to arms against a Democratic president. One critic even referred to the letter as GOP talking points. I wish. Such sarcasm wasn't in evidence back in October 2019 when left-leaning retired Admiral William McRaven in the New York Times called for President Donald Trump's removal from office, the sooner the better. Note that he didn't call simply for Trump's impeachment. The clear implication was he might even support a coup. He was seconded later by former Admiral Mike Mullen, Barack Obama's ex-head of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Mullen and McRaven made the media rounds deriding Trump's leadership and undermining his administration's attempt at military reform. In an interview with NBC's Meet the Press, Mullen said he was, quote, very concerned about the Trump loyalists who have now gone to work in the Pentagon, close quote. Yesterday's military can best be summed up by the motto of West Point, honor, duty, duty, country, honor, duty, country. Today's motto might better be wokeness, race, gender. More than ever, we see a sharp generational and ideological split, one reflected within our current military leadership. Today's ultra-woke military under Biden's Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin is undergoing a progressive transformation there. If not halted, it could make America a superpower in name only. How bad is it 100 days into his job with crises erupting around the globe? Secretary Austin declared his new top priority, curbing sexual assault. His other major political priorities included fighting extremism and boosting vaccines. No one should be surprised since even before he took his post, he called coronavirus the nation's top security challenge and warned that global warming posed an existential threat to our country. Aren't you glad the Secretary of Defense is on that case? While the military leadership wallows in its wokeism, we face real threats from real enemies. China, Russia, Iran, North Korea, and Islamist terrorist groups. No doubt they're licking their chops at the prospect of our military undermining itself. Meanwhile, the military is rooting out at least one kind of enemy, an ideological one. Lieutenant Colonel Matthew Lohmeyer was relieved of command of the 11th Space Warning Squadron at Buckley Air Force Base in Colorado for partisan political activity. That is, he spoke about the new left-wing politics of the military under Joe Biden. The diversity, inclusion, and equity industry and the trainings we are receiving in the military are rooted in critical race theory, which is rooted in Marxism, Lohmeyer said in a podcast. We agree. I agree. The military's new woke politics will not make troops more ready or able to fight. It will only lead to more anger, racial division, sexual grievances, and social schisms, and a lack of military preparedness. And that will leave us all vulnerable in the next major war by ignoring or downplaying what our potential enemies are doing. Our enemies are not American norms. Americans of whatever political stripe would be wise to take their former military leaders' open letters seriously. No doubt Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin, both masters of Marxist propaganda, do. Um, This is part and parcel. This is part and parcel 
of this administration um, siding with America second at every turn, at every turn. No to the XL pipeline, which helps our ally Canada and ourselves, but yes to President Biden and um, giving authority to Germany and Russia to go forward with their own pipeline. Um, So empowering a Russian pipeline after blocking a U.S. pipeline. That's what this Biden administration has now done. It has done much the same. It has done much the same when it comes to siding with allies and enemies alike. It wants to put asunder accords amongst our allies, namely the Abraham Accords, and it wants to re-engage the leading world state sponsor of terrorism. This, too, is oddly backwards, oddly siding with American interests as number two. While we pay lip service to the kinds of things this administration is talking about with regard to child sex slavery and sex trafficking, drug trafficking, and uh, even once in a while paying some kind of lip service to the notions of fairness and the rule of law, they give us a de facto totally open border that manifests in the exacerbation of all of those things, from drug to sex to child trafficking, all of those things, siding not with the principles that protect us and the vulnerable, but with the principles that don't, and yet do support a future prospective, more powerful Democratic Party. That's going on as a matter of partisan politics. That's what's happening there at the elite mainstream level of the Democratic Party. Just that stuff. Joe Biden, your moderate Democrat. That's what's happening there. Now, think about what the squad is pushing. Now, think about what to the to those who say they are to the left of him are pushing and the attention they're getting for it. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Uh, we um, weren't able to have Brandon Weikert with us earlier in the week as per usual, but uh, he is uh, giving some lectures tonight and participating in some, uh, in some conference work, but was uh, uh, able to drop in with us for a few minutes here. I wanted to talk to Brandon particularly about this story that involves uh, his book, uh, The Space Force. Um, his book is uh, Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower. And the, uh, I guess it would be a demotion of a Lieutenant Colonel Matthew Lohmeyer in the Space Force. Brandon Weikert, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here on our unusual day. Unusual day. But, uh, you know, we live in unusual times, right, Brandon? <laughs> <That's> right. <laughs> Talk to me about this um, incident uh, with Lieutenant Colonel Matthew Lohmeyer. Well, so this incident is part of a larger trend that has been worrying me. As you know, I was part of the Space Force formation from the very beginning. And um, while it's a a branch whose time was was long overdue, 
um, because President Trump was the creator of it, uh, it seems to have become very divisive. Mm -hmm. And while it became a branch on its own, and thank God we have it, unfortunately the doctrine and the mission and the funding have not really been what it should be, and now it seems to have become a vehicle for woke ideology, uh, so much so that this former lieutenant colonel now, I guess he's former now, um, from the space wing, uh, was being ordered to basically teach um, uh, cultural Marxism and sort of this woke ideology to his new recruits. So we hoped for Star Wars, and instead we're getting the uh, 1619 BLM in space uh, treatment. Uh, meanwhile, China and Russia, beginning in 2010, have already reorganized uh, their forces to fight and win a space war against America. And uh, we're still trying to figure out how to fit the Space Force, apparently, into this cultural Marxist uh, BLM dialectic. Uh, the forcing of it in uh, the Space Force into that dialectic is um, is part and parcel of what's been going on with the other academies, or the, at least the other branches, for some time now, Brandon, hasn't it? I mean, this has been something it, it, that people don't want to talk about, but we right. kind of need to. That, that's right. And the problem now is Space Force, in my opinion, is the most important branch in the armed forces right now because it is the only branch that is solely dedicated to preventing a space Pearl Harbor, of which we are most vulnerable to right now. And instead of fixating on developing the, the doctrine and the tactics needed to prevent a space Pearl Harbor, uh, we are instead with this very small, it's far too small, uh, for this very small new branch, we are fo focusing their time and energy on social engineering projects. Obviously, nobody takes this program seriously, uh, and the lieutenant colonel who is now in trouble uh, was trying to highlight that, hey, this is hurting our martial prowess. This is preventing us from being able to prevent a space Pearl Harbor. I'm having to teach my troops or my space troopers. Uh, I'm having to teach them, or guardians, I guess, is what we decided on. I don't know why. Uh, but I'm having to teach them BLM Marxist ideology. And it's going to lead to only one place, the defeat of America. And it's going to allow for Russia and China to run roughshod over us, because obviously if we don't have the ideas and the strategies and the doctrines for keeping space in American domain, um, we're not going to be able to actually have the practice of keeping space in American domain. This is painful, uh, Brandon. Um, Scary. It's frightening. Remember 2009 when uh, Navy Captain Nidal Hassan shot up Fort Hood? Yes, badly. And, and afterwards, starting about two weeks afterwards, um, the British press, not so much the American press, but the British press started releasing a lot of interviews with his colleagues back at, I think it was Bethesda Naval, I think, yes. but his colleagues back in Washington. And they were interviewing them saying, did you see no signs? Was there, Oh, they saw signs. Uh, yes. Oh, yeah. uh, he had done presentations that to them looked like promotional propaganda for um, al-Qaeda. And they said almost to a T, almost to a T, they said, but we were afraid to say anything because lest, yeah. lest we be upbraided for insensitivity or cultural or religious insensitivity. I think about that with white shock now that I'm recalling <laughs> it, Brandon. And I think about what you're describing almost 20 years, uh, what, 15 years later. And it's 
there would be nothing to say. Nothing would be out of the ordinary. We're just teaching Marxist Islamist propaganda here. Go go back 20 years, though, Seth. Go back to after 9-11. What was the response? Under George W. Bush, it was to have the U.S. government launch a series of taxpayer-funded conventions in which they got all the national security people together to determine why do they hate us. That was the big thing. Why do they hate us? I do remember that. Uh, rather, you know, rather than what we did after Pearl Harbor, which was we went in and we kicked butt, right. and we didn't worry about why right. they hated us. What we does, were going right. we to drop that bomb on them if we had to. Right. Uh, we don't have that in us anymore. Harry Truman would never be a president in today's Democratic Party. I don't think he'd be a president in today's Republican Party. I I think that we are weak, and I think that we have been for three generations now indoctrinated to believe uh, that uh, we're not worth defending. And now we're seeing it play out in space, and it's very scary because the Chinese and Russians, oh, yeah, they're coming for us. I'm taking part in this conference here, and I'm hearing some very interesting things about what the Chinese and Russians are doing. And, uh, oh, yeah, they've got our number. And the one branch that we need to defend us, uh, Space Force, is being mired in woke ideology from its birth. This is not like the Air Force, which has been around for decades. This is the beginning of a new branch, and it's being embedded into its founding ethos of this woke ideology rather than space dominance. Brandon, the only way out of – well, I want to ask two things. First of all, can we think of institutions – um, that have not been invaded by this uh, virus thinking this junk thought outside of talk radio, maybe. But talk radio can't win wars and defend the country physically. Uh, Matt, what, what was your word? Martial prowess. I like that. Uh, we, we may have rhetorical, but we need martial when it comes to the kinds of things you're talking about. I know you have to leave in about one minute, Brandon, so let me milk right. it. What changes this? It's got to be a CEO at the top, right? No, absolutely not. It's not. It's going to be America getting its butt kicked in a wow. war. It's going to take us in a. It's going to take us getting hit so hard that it's going to. It's going to wake us up from our slumber. Uh, it's going to take either a space Pearl Harbor or a cyber nine eleven. It's going to take some major attack to wake us up. It's going to then that will allow for the warriors who are still in the military who are keeping their mouths shut right now because their superiors are all woke ideologues. That will allow those types of people, the war-fighting generals, uh, to rise to the top and displace the political generals who've come to dominate our armed forces. There's nothing else that's going to stop this. No Republican administration. Well, Trump couldn't stop it. Bush couldn't stop it. Reagan probably wouldn't even be able to stop it. The Democrats are encouraging it. It's not going to take any CEO. It's going to take a foreign adversary fundamentally kicking our butts. Brandon, go go uh, go back to this uh, conference and whip them. Yeah, right. I know. Whip them in shape over there, and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Seth. Talk to you later. Bye. Well, welcome back. Six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. We got this great event May twenty fifth. Crisis at the border. We're bringing in Seb Gorka and Mike Gallagher. Andy Biggs and I will be there uh, the twenty fifth here in Scottsdale. And uh, the day before, we're going, a group of us are going to the border to get uh, some fact-finding, and then we'll share our visit to the border with you on May 25th. It's going to be a heck of a great evening, heck of a great event. Gorka, Gallagher, Biggs, I'll be there. I can't wait to see you there. 960thepatriot.com for your tickets. And right now, if you're uh, our first caller, I'll give you two general admission tickets. Chris, uh, my producer today, will take your information. Happy to keep giving those away. 
Uh, and if you are not lucky enough to be caller number one, 960thepatriot.com is where you can go to get those um, tickets. I, um, I'm thinking about something uh, Lou Hallman, Lewis Hallman said here, um, not a couple days ago, but a couple weeks ago, about the purposes of public policy. And I think it was Lewis, now that I'm thinking about it. He'd probably agree with it. In any event, I'll make the point. The purpose of public policy is often taken for granted, but it is to make things better for the people in your domain, your electorate, your votaries, your polis. And we are fortunate enough to have yardsticks as to know what makes things better or worse if we have a moral universe that can distinguish between good and bad. Let me go right to the story, get out of the abstract for a moment. If you think rising substance abuse, or let me put it more clearly, if you think substance abuse is a problem, more of it is obviously worse. Any public policy that gives you more of it would be bad public policy. Seems fairly common. Seems politics 1A, not even politics 101. But the problem is brought to us because there are people who don't necessarily think in terms of right and wrong or good and bad, and that perhaps rising drug use isn't such a bad thing or isn't something the government should be concerned about. Well, um, let's talk about this the way they talk about it over at The Federalist for a moment. U.S. Customs and Border Protection confiscated more fentanyl in the first half of this year than in the last three years combined. I'll repeat that U.S. Customs and Border Protection confiscated more fentanyl in the first half of this year, in other words, January until now, than in the last three years combined. Almost 6,500 pounds, according to recently released data. Nearly 2,000 more pounds of fentanyl have been seized by officials compared to last year and amid the southern border surge. Texas Governor Greg Abbott told reporters Friday that the Texas Department of Public Safety has seen an 800 percent increase from April last year to April 2021 this year of the amount of fentanyl that has been apprehended. Listen to this quote. We have obtained enough fentanyl coming across the border to kill every single person in the state of New York. Fentanyl is a fatal drug that is 50 to 100 times stronger than morphine. And around 87,000 Americans died from a drug overdose last year. Primary driver being fentanyl. Primary access to fentanyl across our border. Across our border. Primary manufacturer of fentanyl. China. 
And when I say fentanyl in these contexts, I mean illegal fentanyl. Illegal fentanyl. You can make things worse. We are making things worse. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. If you're thinking of going solar and saying goodbye to those high power bills, so you get, especially this time of year, let me tell you about my friend Solar Sandy. She brought integrity back to solar in Arizona. And the difference between Solar Sandy and the other solar companies is that she actually figured out how to truly zero out your power bill. So important when you go solar that you do it the right way. Solar Sandy has the formula. I urge you to read the testimonials on her website, asksolarsandy.com. They're amazing. She'll do appointments in person or via Zoom. And if you sign up now, she will pay your power bills for one year and your solar panel payments for one year, and you will receive a $1,000 bonus at signing. To get started, go to AskSolarSandy.com or call her at 623-850-8229. That's 623-850-8229. bonus at signing. No solar panel payments for one year. Your power bill's paid for one year. Go to AskSolarSandy.com. Tuesday we were talking about how the deaths attributed to COVID in the United States might be inflated by close to 50% given the way we count versus the way other developed countries have counted. Today we learned something new. You will recall in the early days of COVID, early months of COVID, many of us were talking about what became eminently obvious to the rest of the world about a week ago, which is that children are threatened by low risk of this, if any, and don't transmit it like adults. Then, of course, that fact had to be ruined by Team Panic, Team COVID, by telling us of an uptick and rise in children being admitted to hospitals for COVID. I quote Newsweek, two new studies from hospital pediatrics have concluded that COVID-19 hospitalizations among children have been inflated by at least 40 percent, at least 40 percent. The papers published on Wednesday found that pediatric hospitalizations were grossly overcounted in hospitals and infectious disease experts predict the findings to be reflective of the other hospitals outside of California that they studied across the country. Dr. Monica Gandhi at the University of California, San Francisco, said, quote, there is no reason to think these findings would be exclusive to California. This is sort of retrospective chart review should reveal the same findings across the country. Hospitalizations among children were already extremely low relative to adults, but the new figures cut the key coronavirus metric by nearly half and make the actual rates among kids even 
smaller. The study's findings could also have potential implications on health guidances for schools and summer camps. I want to return to that point. Wrote Dr. Gandhi, Children have suffered tremendously due to policies that have kept schools and recreational facilities close to them, and the burden has been greatest on children who are low-income and English-language learners. Scientific and media reports that inaccurately portray the risk of COVID-19 to children can do harm by alarming parents and providing justification for ongoing restrictions to in-person education and other programming. Via these studies, parents and policymakers should be reassured that pediatric hospitalization for severe COVID-19 disease is indeed rare. That's what the science said before June. It's not what the politics said after June. It's what the science says again now. And what I worry about is this line from the reporter in Newsweek writing about these two new studies, where she says, writes, quote, the study's findings could also have potential implications on health guidances for schools and summer camps. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. I don't believe it because nothing, nothing has moved schools and summer camps relative to data and science. Nothing. Indeed, it has gone the other way perversely around with the National Education Association ghostwriting for the CDC and the CDC using their language from the teachers' unions verbatim. That's not listening to the science. That's not following the science. That's scientific organizations getting their talking points and instruction from private political power unions. At a certain point, are enough people going to look back and say we were really had? We were really had, and we owe those urging calm an apology for calling them deniers, for calling them Neanderthals, for calling them murderers, as so many Karens did to those who refused to bow to politics instead of rationale and common sense and science? I don't think so. I think we'll just keep going and going and going. Potential implications on health guidance for schools and summer camps. No, no. There will not be implications on health guidances for schools and summer camps anymore than they will take seriously the studies we've shown of what masks do to children and their mental health. You see, you can't exactly say you're against substance abuse and do everything you can to prevent it when you allow the product to flow through the border as it has in greater numbers than the past three years combined on the one hand, and on the other hand, 
create the structural conditions domestically that lead to relapse, substance abuse, initiation, depression, and suicide. You can't do it. Not if you think mental health and life are important. We know you think life is important at some level because you ran us through a maze of rules and regulations to save it from COVID. Why you are so cold and callous with regards to other greater takers of lives, I cannot fathom. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. It's a delight to um, let you know that at the top of the next hour, one of the world's uh, greatest intellectuals, public intellectuals, Robert P. George of Princeton University, will be joining us top of the next hour. Um, I wanted to get him on on the topic of my monologue yesterday. If you missed it, you can um, always get it at YouTube or 960thepatriot.com. It was about Chris Cuomo saying that the pro-life movement is about white fright, about preserving whiteness in America. And uh, I don't know if many people have written more on these issues than Robert P. George, but he'd certainly be up there. He's the only attorney, this is interesting, the only, as far as we know, we can tell, he's the only American attorney to ever represent Mother Teresa. He's, uh, he's also a practicing attorney out of uh, Princeton University. Anyway, we'll have Robbie George, Professor George, on with us at the top of the uh, next hour. I've been wanting to get into this issue of the AP uh, and its uh, denials about enmeshing with Hamas in the Gaza Strip. And uh, I just keep running out of time to do it. David Harsanyi writes that the CEO of the AP... um, uh, Gary Pruitt knowingly puts journalists at risk every day he sends them to places such as Gaza, where the ruling regime wages war behind civilians it uses as shields. Um, and it is more than plausible that Hamas was using journalists as shields, as study after study has shown. During the last major outbreak of violence in 2014, Gaza's Shifa Hospital became, quote, a de facto headquarters for Hamas leaders who could be seen in the hallways and offices, close quote, according to the Washington Post. But not the Associated Press. They did not write that, which had 40 journalists working on the Israeli-Palestinian story, including a number of them filling stories, filing stories from inside that very hospital. Do you think the AP, by the way, has that many people in China total? Or Russia total? That's amazing. 40 AP journalists deployed to Gaza. Robbie George coming right up. Don't go away. We'll be right back. 